Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast, your go-to source for personal, professional, and organizational growth and development. We hope you tune in often for all things people management, organizational development and change, organizational leadership, and social impact related. Maximize your personal and organizational potential with Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. In this HCI podcast episode, I talk with Zena Such about fostering love and laughter in the workplace. Zena Such, welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Hi, John. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it is a pleasure to be with you. I'm so excited to have a nice conversation. And today we're going to be talking about fostering love and laughter in the workplace. I think this is always a timely and important topic, but especially now during the holidays, I think it's it's nice to have a little bit of levity and and to embrace fun and to show genuine love and compassion to those around us that we work with. And so we're going to unpack that and talk about how we can go about doing that in appropriate and effective ways within the workplace. As we get started, I wanted to share Zena's bio with everybody. Zena Such has been leading development and diversity programs for the federal government for 20 years and currently serves in the senior executive service. It's a pleasure to have you, Zena. Anything else you would like to share with listeners by way of your background or personal context before we dive on into the conversation? No, just that this is really a passion of mine is working with people and understanding human behavior. And that's really, I think that's where my interest in leadership started was, you know, kind of asking myself, why is that person doing what they're doing? You know, what, what makes that person act that way? And, um, and so most of my studies and research in my early part of my career have been on behaviors and, and my focal point was actually emotional and behavioral disorders. So when you think about that, it's, it's kind of weird that I ended up in, um, you know, looking at adult leadership principles and what works and what doesn't work. Yeah, that's wonderful. And I share that passion. Uh, That's a lot of the work that I do just in a different kind of context. Uh, And as we get started, I thought we could um, begin by exploring what you mean by love in the workplace, fostering love. Now, I suppose it could be like the rom-com workplace romance love, but I suspect that's not what you actually mean. Uh, (laughs) Can you uh, tell us a little bit more about that? Well, thank you for saying that because you're absolutely right. We are not talking about romantic love in the workplace. And we also want to make sure everybody's aware where, you know, that that can get you into a lot of trouble. Just take a look at some of the movements that we've seen, societal movements that we've seen recently um, and being very careful. One of the things that um, we do in our book and Patrick Malone and I have co-authored this book called Leading Love, uh, Leading with Love and Laughter, Letting Go and Getting Real at Work. And that's the focus uh, of being real at work. And the reality about human beings is that we all know what it feels like to feel loved by somebody and cared for. And we also know what it feels like to actually exude that love for somebody else or to have that feeling of love for somebody else. And what we're seeing is that 
there are all sorts of types of love. And in, in some cultures, you know, people just look at it through one lens. And what we're asking people to do is to say, you know, you've got a, a feeling of love for your family members, for some friends, you could say that you love your friends. There's also that kind of flippant, you know, I love burritos, as Patrick says all the time. Um, but uh, what we're talking about is that true, true genuine, deep-rooted need to feel cared for, near, need to feel valued, need to feel seen in the workplace as a whole human being. And then we as leaders and colleagues, if we can truly tap into that internal need that we have and then start feeling that for others, um, identify those folks that we that we really do care for and start asking ourselves if we're not caring for all of our folks, what is it? Why is it that we can't care for all of the people that work with us, for us, around us? So that's the kind of love we're talking about. It's really about seeing the employee as a whole human being, not just as the mechanism by which you get performance out. Mm, yeah, I like that. And and the irony is when you treat someone as a genuine human being uh, with needs, wants, desires, and you support them and show genuine empathy and caring for them, lo and behold, you probably will get higher levels of performance, engagement, commitment from them. Um, but when you use them, when you when they feel uh, like they're a cog in the machine, when they feel like they're just being manipulated for performance, people tend to uh, shut down a bit and do kind of the minimum required. And so it's it's kind of this this general irony um, that we need to remember. And I don't say this, you know, so that we can use love as a, a manipulative tool to, to get more out of people, but it's just a natural byproduct that when people feel fulfilled, cared about, supported, they tend to perform better. Yeah. You know, one of the things that um, one of the other jobs that I have in my, in my life is I, I teach for the uh, key executive leadership program at American university. And we, in that program, we encounter uh, thousands of leaders. And these are high, high performing leaders, leaders across federal government, private sector, public sector. And in our teachings, what we found was that there are certain people that come through a program and they kind of start wrapping, and I'm using this as a visual kind of imaginary thing. We start wrapping ourselves in all of the certifications that we get. You know, oh, I went through this, you know, named the top school program, and I'm now certified in X, Y, and Z. And now, and I, I now have the checklist in front of me of all the things I'm supposed to do. And people, there's a sense of comfort with that because you feel you feel like I've learned something and these are really good tools. They're really good techniques. You know, all of them come with some good, uh, you know, research substantiated uh, steps we can take. But what we found is that sometimes what that does is it creates more and more barriers, layers on top of us as human beings that then prevent us from really tapping into that very core part of what the human being needs and seeks in their day-to-day -day interactions with other people. And we, um, we kind of try to say to people, you know, instead of focusing on all those certifications that you've received from all the different programs, or, you know, you've read amazing books, and there are a lot of books out there that, that give you great techniques. But if you don't start with that basic human caring component, loving component, you will never, ever, ever be able to be successful using those techniques. And so what we're saying is, okay, dive deeper, 
get to know yourself, get to love yourself. You know, we, we, um, one of the things that a lot of us struggle with is loving ourselves and accepting ourselves for all of our strengths, weaknesses, you know, we're all imperfect. Um, but once you can do that, and then you start forgiving yourself for things, you can look at another human being and then you can start doing that for that other human being, because we as as people, that's a core principle. I don't know anyone I've met that didn't say, I don't really want to be loved and I don't love anybody. You know, that that's when you start getting into the disorders and we don't we don't want to go there. And, and joy and laughter comes hand in hand. So when we were writing the book, we said there's more to it than just love, because you, you could feel cared for in the work place. And you can care for people, hold them accountable, still set standards, still have expectations, but doing it through the lens of, I care about you, I want you to perform at your top most best, I will do everything to help you do that because I care about you, and that's when you're going to get high performance, but if that's not enough, we also want people to enjoy their jobs. Now, are you going to love everything that you do in your job? Absolutely not. And is everything going to be joyful? No. But how can leaders in, you know, infuse joy in those staff meetings, you know, or, or try to find something humorous to release some of that stress that people might be feeling with the demands and the societal or environmental or economic pressures? And how do, you know, how do you as a leader tap into that little bit of funniness that people can see in the situation or some self-deprecation so people can see you and laugh with you about the way that you handled something or the way that you might have shared a story a personal story so I don't want I don't want to keep talking you know and not and not give you a chance to ask questions but it's just something I'm so I so believe in you know yeah no that's great and I appreciate your passion uh and I appreciate that you started with the importance of self-understanding, self-reflection, and self-love. Um, now, it, it's not like you have, you can only do one at a time. You can't love other people until you love yourself. I mean, it's a reciprocal. And the more you understand yourself, though, I think that it, the greater your capacity to understand others, the greater, the more self-love that you experience, the, the greater love you're going to be able to show to other people. And so it's kind of this upward spiral in my mind, um, self-reinforce, you know, mutually reinforcing um, as we try to develop that capacity. And some people, we all know them. We, some people just have this natural capacity to just light up a room and everyone feels important around them and everyone feels cared for and loved. Um, and it's not just a introverted, extroverted thing. Like there are just some people that just exude that. Um, but we can all do, we can all learn and develop the capacity to, to demonstrate our love for other people around us. Um, just as we, as we, uh, over time better understand ourselves and, and the people that we're leading and serving. And so I really appreciate that framing. And I like that you, you, uh, pulled in the, the laughter and the enjoyment piece as well. And that's absolutely right. We all want to work in a place where there's some fun, where there's some play, where there's laughter and where we enjoy each other's company in a, in a genuine way, right? Not forced fun. Um, you know, we're not talking about just putting up a ping pong table and, and saying, check, we, we now have a fun workplace. Um, but creating a, a really uh, open environment where people can be authentic, true to themselves, and where they can push themselves and learn and iterate and, and feel safe enough to do that. Like that's a playful environment. That's a fun environment, even when you're doing serious 
work with lots of concentration. And so I imagine that's in part what you're describing. Absolutely. And I love that you said, you know, check the box because we, in, in, when, in our research and when we write about this, whether it's an article or whether we're teaching or whether, you know, or in the book, we, we also say, you know, do that check box thing does not work. It just does not work because people can sense the inauthentic, you know, attempt at trying to put into place something that you read in a book or, you know, the top 25, you know, icebreakers for a, Offsite team meeting, you know, we it, it, we all have access to that, um, and and I I do want to definitely say that it does start with self. Yes, it's I definitely agree it's reciprocal, and you can you can show and exude love and care for other people, but the authentic self becomes nurtured when you can really hold that mirror up. I'm excited to announce the publication of my new book from HCI Press, Bluer Than Indigo Leadership, The Journey of Becoming a Truly Remarkable Leader. Early in my adult life, I learned about an Asian proverb that translates as bluer than indigo. If you think about the color indigo, it is a brilliant, deep, and vibrant blue. What some would call the bluest of blues. To have something that is bluer than indigo is rare and truly remarkable. Contrary to popular myth, there is no one-size-fits-all or cookie-cutter approach to effective leadership. There's no silver bullet, no secret sauce, no go-to model that will solve all of our problems. The truth is, great leaders have all had their unique strengths and flaws, and have all had to discover and then pave their own distinctive path in their life's journey to fulfill their leadership potential. Bluer Than Indigo Leadership will help you discover your own path and explore those ordinary, everyday actions that will help you respond to an uncertain future and produce extraordinary results for individuals, teams, and organizations. It's sometimes hard to look at yourself, and it's sometimes hard to ask yourself those questions of, so why is it that, you know, I'm not connecting with my team? What is it that scares me? What is it that prevents me from sharing a story of one of my failures or sharing a story of something funny that happened to me at home with my kids? You know, why don't I want my colleagues to know me that way? You know, and so those are the kinds of self-questioning that we encourage people to ask themselves. And the other piece of this is really getting in touch with your feelings and how you feel. I often say when I'm when I'm teaching, I often say, you know, is think of that one person in the office that reports to you that every time they come back in the day when we were in the offices, you know, knocks on your door and your stomach just goes, you know, oh, how much time is this going to take or you know, I hope this this meeting doesn't last very long, or or we just ignore their email or wait till the end of the day, procrastinating. You know, there are going to be people that we encounter. And what I like to say is, okay, so now stop and ask yourself, what is it about this person? You know, what is it about this person that's making you feel that way? What are those feelings that you have? And that kind of self-exploration is what's going to finally get you to the point where you're going to be willing to take a small step towards this person. You're going to take a small step towards discovering something about yourself that will then enable you to open that door 
to creating a relationship with somebody that's on your team. Um, maybe it's you don't know enough about them. Maybe it's that you their their style reminds you of your ex or something. You know, it could be anything. But there's something that self exploration is so critical for us to being good leaders, to being good colleagues, um, and being able to, you know, we talk about performance and being able to tap into that relationship building that will then enable us to really truly give feedback to people to improve performance. Because ultimately, um, when we're looking at this from the perspective of business, we want ultimate, you know, high-performing organizations, high-performing teams, and high-performing individuals. And so part of the getting to that high performance is being able to have debriefs afterwards and, and understand where the failures were, but be able to learn from them and be able to, you know, point out places where people could show improvement. And the more of a re good relationship you have with people the easier that becomes. Um, and people, people some, yeah, some people don't realize that it becomes easier. They think it gets harder. And what we have seen over and over again is it's a lot easier to approach somebody that you care about and say, hey, you know what, that product, you know, that project plan that you developed, it's got some areas that we really need to look at again. You know, it's not showing us what it, we need to see, et cetera. Yeah, yeah, very well said. And, and so I wonder, what do you think are, are some of the barriers to this? Um, I, I think most people listening are probably thinking, yeah, that all this sounds wonderful. Yet, when you broach the topic of love and laughter in the workplace, many people will cringe or, uh, you know, put some defensive barriers up or just think that's woo-woo fluff. Um, why do you think people have that kind of reaction? How do we get past it so we can actually start to foster and implement a more loving and fun and uh, laughter oriented kind of workplace environment? Yeah, I think, I, I mean, I, I would gather or uh, I would guess that most of this comes from the way that um, leadership was perceived historically and the evolution of organizations and evolution of what leadership really is. And so we have, you know, we grew up in, in a time where maybe leaders were top down, do as I say. Um, we have some of that kind of coming from the military perspective as well, although there's great examples of military organizations that do exude love and care for each other at the same time. But we have this perce perception, I think, of what leaders are, and they are the taskers, you know, go do this, come back, you know, punch the clock back in the factory days. It, it was all very much control. And what we're seeing is this evolution of people, you know, you realize you really can't control people and you're getting minimal. You're only getting that little bit that you can control in a situation um, from that employee. And what we're finding is that leaders who only see it that way tend to be people who are afraid of taking risks outside of what has already gotten them to where they are. So they're in these high positions. They've gotten themselves there. It worked for them but they're not willing to take that risk to step outside their comfort zones. And so what they're getting is probably mediocre performance. Um, you know, they're trying all sorts of carrot and stick, you know, ways of getting that performance to increase, but that fear is there, that fear of looking at themselves, fear of really um, trying to do something different and new. Uh, and, and then also relying on the fact that they've gotten to where they are 
doing things the way they've done it. So there's a comfort level, right? Our, the, the neuroscience shows that once we do things a certain way over and over and over and over again, that neural pathway has been created and that's where, that's our go-to. That's, that's where we, we feel comfortable. That's what our thinking pattern is. This is how we're going to behave and function. Um, and we also know that trying something new is a little nerve wracking and that's just part of who we are. That's, that's the nature of the human brain. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, and so this is something we constantly have to be paying attention to and recognizing that th- this kind of resistance will be in place. And it comes back to like we were, what we were talking about before, a, gen- a general kind of focus on a workplace environment of psychological safety, vulnerability, and trust. If that's in place, I think it's much easier for people to have genuine interpersonal connections that allow for this kind of love that we're talking about. I think it's much easier for people to to have fun and be playful and laugh and, and enjoy the work that they're doing, but it's all built upon the foundation of trust and vulnerability. Uh, and, and it's, a, that can be a hard place to get to, especially if people have a bad track record in the organization or with a particular leader or with a particular member of their team. We know the the number one reason why people leave their job isn't because of, you know, anything in particular to the organization. It, it tends to be more the the person they report to their boss or a, a teammate, someone, uh, a colleague that they just can't stand. And so we need to uh, really think long and hard about how we're putting together our teams, how we're fostering that kind of an open environment, and take seriously uh, the trust formation and the interpersonal dynamics of our team if we want to have you know, the foundation for love and laughter in the workplace. Absolutely. And I think another barrier for us and I tossed this out there um, just for us to kind of talk a little bit about, and that is the the time constraints. Uh, I I see across the board, you know, people, studies have shown that, you know, people don't feel love in the workplace. They they said that they would work harder if there was that feeling. Um, They believe that their own well-being would be enhanced if they had this. But what the problem that I think exists is this time factor. So many people say, I just don't have time. I don't have time to talk to people. I don't have time to connect with people. I don't have time to share stories with people. I don't have, because I've got so many deadlines, so many things, and we're always rushing. It feels like you never finish your day's work. There's always something left for you to do the next day. And what we're saying is the time, the investment of time in building these um, environments, these cultures that allow for psychological safety, taking the time to spend a few minutes with your team, just sharing funny stories that happened over the weekend. You know, when we say bringing joy, we don't mean don't pick up a joke book and just come in and start telling jokes, right? Because you're most likely going to offend somebody, offend a group. When we say bring joy and, and, and laughter, what we're saying is, you know, start with yourself, like share a funny story that happened to you or something your kids did that you found amusing or, you know, some, some, something that enables you to be a hu- real human being to those that you're leaving, right? And then people start to see that and start with what you're comfortable with. Don't start with something that you're super uncomfortable with, you know, introvert, extrovert, doesn't matter. But don't all of a sudden try to become Jerry Seinfeld in the office space. Um, But start looking at, you know, how how lighthearted can you be, you know, and is everything as serious as you're making it 
out to be? And could you lighten the, the environment, the air in the room? And we feel as if somebody will walk into the room and everyone stops talking and they sit down and then it's all like serious business. And we are saying, if that's happening too often, there's a problem. You, you've got people who are not relaxed. You've got people who are, whose cortisol levels are probably through the roof with the stress hormones that are you know, pulsating through them. And we're not doing enough to relieve some of that. And we know people's performance improves when their stress levels are down. People's performance, creativity, teamwork, um, communication, everything improves when the, the stress is low and they feel that they're in a space of safety where they can say what, what they're feeling. Yeah. And so part of what I'm hearing is lower the stakes a bit. Like most things that are happening at work day to day aren't um, like these crucial life altering you know, uh, types of events that's going to destroy the company or, or whatever, like the most things are just, we just need to be steady, slow and steady wins the race as the old saying goes. And we just need to be steady. And so lower the stakes. So people don't feel this constant tension. And I, you know, as you were saying that one thing came to mind, I know some people thrive in that kind of an environment. Some people like the high tension, high stress, it kind of pushes them, it motivates them. And there is a subset of people that like that and enjoy that. But even those people tend to burn out from it uh, over time. But I would say most people don't thrive in that environment. Um, right. and, and, and leaders need to remember that because sometimes I would say disproportionately, those who find themselves in like official ro- leadership roles and leadership ranks, they're probably disproportionately the type of people that do a little bit better in the high uh, intensity types of environments. Um, don't push that on your people because most people don't like that. It's going to burn them out. Uh, and most people aren't going to perform better. They're going to perform worse over time. And so we just need to chill out a little bit, lower the stakes, create a safe, comfortable place for people to do their work, support them. And lo and behold, people tend to perform better over time. Right. And that kind of, that kind of thing is also contagious. So if you've got these high stress workers that are constantly at this high level, um, other people start thinking that's how they should be. And, and then they're outside their comfort zone. And so you're setting up this, you're setting up an, a poor performing team rather than a high performing team. So you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, there are some people who thrive on a high stress situation, but I also hear that saying, you know, work hard, play hard. I think that's the spray, right? So they're looking for a, a release. They're looking for a way to let down that stress. And so we, we just have to be careful, but I, you know, I'll go back to, you as a leader, I as a leader, or anyone who is in a leadership role, supervisor, manager, you know, has people reporting to them. You, it's really, really beneficial if you really want that discretionary energy from your employees is to nurture that employee, um, love them like a family member, you know, care about them in a way that you would if it was your brother or your sister or your, you know, sibling or, or just, you know, people that you care about and, and start experimenting with that. You know, what if you looked at this person that has kind of rubbed you the wrong way this whole time and said, okay, what if this was a sibling or, you know, or, or this was my, my, um, my child, you know, that has grown up and is in this role now, what would I do? What would I want others to do? I mean, just even playing those kinds of self-questioning games will help you become more aware of what you're doing, why you're doing it, understand yourself better, and then be able to do better for those around you. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, Zena, it has been a real pleasure. I note the time. I'm going to have to let you go here in a few minutes. But before we close, I wanted to give you a chance to share with listeners how they can get in touch with you, uh, find out more about your work, your team, and then give us the final word on the topic for today. Sure. So um, please, you know, if you're interested in this topic, you want to read more, um, you can uh, purchase our book on Amazon.com. It's called Leading with Love and Laughter, Letting Go and Getting Real at Work. And that is, you can also find that on our website, suchmalone.com, or you can email us at Zena and Patrick at suchmalone.com. So we would love to hear from you if you have any thoughts, ideas, whether you agree. And if you disagree, we'd love to hear from you even more. Um, But please do reach out. And I guess the final thought is, this isn't just about those you lead. It's about you as well. And if you want to enjoy your job and you want to feel good in your workplace, because that's where we spend a lot of our time, then this is something that would benefit you as well as all of those around you. Yeah, absolutely. Well said. Zena, it's been a pleasure. I encourage listeners to reach out, get connected, find out more about what Zena and her team can do for you. And as always, I hope everyone can stay healthy and safe. They can find meaning and purpose at work each and every day. And I hope you all have a great week. The Alchemy of Truly Remarkable Leadership. Ordinary, everyday actions that produce extraordinary results. Consider how the nature of work has shifted over the past 50 years. With increased globalization, rapid technological advancement, and the shift in economic composition, the average job of today looks very different than the average job of 50 years ago. What will the jobs and organizations of tomorrow look like? Moreover, what does this all mean for organizational leaders? What are the core competencies and capabilities of organizations and their leadership that are prepared for continued disruption and geopolitical and socioeconomic shifts? Regardless of what the future holds, increasingly, leaders need to be socially minded, data-driven, decisive, champions of talent, and disruptors of the traditional notions of leadership, teams, organizations, and work. The alchemy of truly remarkable leadership will help you to explore your own leadership competencies and capabilities and consider ways to apply and implement them into your workplace and personal life. Check out Human Capital Innovations magazine, Human Capital Leadership. Human Capital Leadership is a free interactive e-magazine with the mission to help individuals, leaders, and organizations find innovative approaches to maximize their human capital potential. We publish issues quarterly in August, November, February, and May. Take a look at the latest issue and let us know what you think. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. I hope you stay healthy and safe and that you have a great week. Check out our new weekly LinkedIn newsletter, Alchemizing Human Capital, exploring industry trends via original research and interviews with executives and thought leaders from across the globe. We look forward to having you join us.